0: Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 19, and we have been reading through the book of Exodus ever since we finished our Genesis uh, sermon series. And so we've been looking at the way that God has brought the people out of slavery in Egypt, the way that he has been leading them along, the way that he's brought them to Mount Sinai, and now as he gives them uh, these laws, and this time we get to read about some festivals, and um, a weird last verse about a goat and its mother's milk. We'll, we'll get there. Anyway, before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. Now we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. I we pray that you would help us to not make light of this gift, help us to not take it for granted, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, um, to hear your word, read and proclaimed, to take it seriously, to understand it for the gift that it is, how it is for our good. Lord, we pray that you would help us to seek to understand and apply and live what you have said. Uh, that we would be made ever more by your word and by your spirit. Into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 14, says, Three times a year you are to to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me, Empty handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Turning then to Luke chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. This is actually uh, the second half of a uh, story where Jesus has uh, gone to have dinner with um, Levi the tax collector and then their other you know, tax collectors and others there with him and um, here's the response it says, but the pharisees and the teachers of the law who complained or who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners Jesus answered them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we were looking at a passage uh, in 1 Corinthians that had to do with um, running a race and uh, the training that goes into that. And we talked about Olympic athletes and how they are willing to sacrifice so much in order to get the gold medal and uh, how Paul was saying, you know, effectively, if this is true for athletes who are trying to win, you know, this laurel wreath, this crown of leaves that is going to wither and fade. How much more for Christians should we be willing to make sacrifices uh, in order to train ourselves intentionally as the people of God to receive what it is that he has for us? And one of the um, examples that we talked about was uh, if somebody is brought onto the team, the football coach just pulls somebody and says, hey, you're on my team now, and so you get the jersey, etc. and how it just doesn't make any sense for that person then to go back and sit in the stands wearing their jersey and being like, I'm on the team, and just making fun of everybody else who's not on the team. It's like, but you're not, you're not doing the things that the people on the team do. <laughs> like you're supposed to be on the field. You're supposed to be actually at practice and doing the things. And um, anyway, and that just, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, and yet, that's very much where we're headed this week in what Paul tells the church in Corinth uh, about uh, the people that have come in the past. And so he ended, uh, where we ended last week was a verse where he says, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You think about what all Paul had been through. And he says, and even still, for him, this is something that takes intentional uh, effort and commitment and dedication. He says, even after all this, I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. We didn't talk about that much last week because that's what's coming this week. So that's where we get to go. This is in First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, ten, verses one through thirteen. And again, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth where he's writing to people who are wanting to follow Jesus, but they are in the middle of a culture that is not interested in following Jesus and going a whole different way. And so the church itself is feeling uh, the pressures from the world to just kind of conform to what it is that they are doing and the ways that they go about everything. And uh, and maybe in ways they don't even notice that they're being shaped by their culture. And so this whole letter he's been writing to them, to repent of those ways, to come back to uh, following Jesus um, intentionally. And, uh, and so here he goes back to some of the things that happened in um, that kind of Exodus story between the coming out of slavery in Egypt and then uh, entering the promised land. There was a lot of stuff that happened. That's really what we get in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, he pulls a lot of this together right here, uh, kind of recaps for them and for their good and for ours as well. Here's what he says. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. All right. This is actually in uh, this section of the whole book where Paul has been talking to them about uh, food sacrifice to idols and what do you do with that, but then specifically how he's been uh, talking about the, uh, the willingness believers need to have to actually give up their rights for the good of others. And so it's not enough to ask the question, and we've talked about this before, it's not enough to ask the question, do I have the right to do it? And assume that that means we've already answered the question, is it right to do it? <laughs> but instead we have to ask, do I have the right to do it? And would it be right to do it? And those are two different questions. And so um, <clears throat> what Paul has been saying is that there are, um, well, in verse 18 of chapter 9, he talks about offering the gospel free of charge personally. And he says, you know, <clears throat> that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. This is something he was doing for the good of others, being willing personally to give up some of his rights for the good of others. And this is what he's been on about. And uh, and then that's where he goes into the um, the training and what it looks like for an athlete to go into training. And, and what do you do as an athlete when you're going to training, but you you do give up some of the rights that you have. Uh, do you have a right to... Uh, <laughs> you have a right to sleep in and not go to practice? Absolutely, you have that right. And if you do that, what's going to happen? <laughs> you're You're not going to get better at your sport, that's for sure. And in fact, you may not stay on the team <laughs> if you continue to do that. And so... You can say, well, I have a right to you know, sleep in longer. I can do that if I want to. Yeah. But is that really what you want long-term? And this is where Paul is talking about this need for self-discipline has to do with this, uh, the practice of uh, actually looking at uh, our rights, but also in the what is uh, good for others. And in case people are still missing it, that's where he goes into this example, and he's like, I don't want you to be ignorant <laughs> of the fact that here's, this is the situation for our ancestors. And so he goes back to this Exodus story, and he talks about the people who are coming out of Egypt, and you look at the dramatic things that God has done in their lives. And so, just by way of recap, he's like, <clears throat> they were under the cloud, they passed through the sea. This is when they were coming out of Egypt, and God leads them by this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud to go to where he's having them to go. And I don't know if you remember this, but when when they get out of Egypt, they are following the cloud, it actually leads them to a dead end. And what happens when the people get led to a dead end? They start whining and grumbling and crying out to Moses and saying that, um, Ah, God's just brought us out here so that we're going to die. And he says, No. <laughs> You just need to be still. You'll see what God is going to do. And this is when then he opens the Red Sea. Who saw that coming? And he opens the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. And the Egyptians that they uh, were so terrified of, they never saw again. And so we see that uh, the way that then Paul describes that is they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. not a cool way of talking about that? They're baptized into Moses this way. And then, of course, they go out into the wilderness. And what happens as soon as they get out there? I mean, the first thing that they do is sing God's praises. Wow, he did amazing things. Look at that. He rescued us from the Egyptians. Amazing. And then, like, right after that, they're like, "Uh, we're kind of hungry, and there's not any food out here, and we think he just let us out here to die again. That's what we think. It's like, really? Do you not remember what just happened? But they start grumbling. There's no food. And God provides them food in the wilderness. That's manna. What is it? And then uh, they are provided drinks. They're like, oh, but we're thirsty. <laughs> provides them uh, water to drink. Uh, and there's this you know, moment where God tells Moses to hit the rock, and he hits the rock, and water comes out. And later, he tells him to speak to the rock, and he hits the rock. That's a whole other story. But anyway, uh but water is provided for them in the wilderness, in this miraculous way that they have been fed and uh, food and drink, and so Paul talks about this as uh, this uh, they ate the same spiritual food and spiritual drink. what does he mean by spiritual in that it was provided for them by the spirit right and so this is something they could not have gotten on their own this is something that God provided for them, and so you think about this. You think about their situation. Have they um, experienced the, uh, the work of God in powerful ways in their lives? Absolutely. Has he brought them out of slavery? Yes. Has he um, saved them from uh, what they were dealing with? Yes. Yes. And then after he's brought them out, has he continued to sustain them with food and drink? Yes. And then Paul reminds everybody. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You go, now, wait a second. Uh, These were the people that he's bringing into the promised land, right? He's bringing them out of slavery and into the promised land. And so he's gotten them out, but then they didn't go in. What happened? That's the question. Because when uh, Paul is using this kind of language and he's reminding the church in Corinth, he's not just saying, hey, I want you to think about that back then, and then we can, you know, feel good about ourselves that we're not doing what they did. He's like, actually, eh, we may be in a closer situation than you realize. And so he uses this intentional language of baptized into Moses and this food and drink that they shared. Now think about our position as Christians. Have we been baptized into Moses? No. (laughs) We've been baptized into Jesus. Yeah, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And do we share food and drink provided by him? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We celebrate the Lord's Supper that he has given to us and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so Paul is saying, we are very much in their same situation. We have experienced the power of God in our lives. We have experienced salvation from things in our past and have, are being brought forward. But, and we're being sustained by these foods and drink, but maybe there's more to it than just that. Maybe we don't just look at that and go, yeah, that's good. Baptize, sharing in uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the sacraments of the church. What else is there? And then he reminds them, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Something happened. And then he even says in Verse 6, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Whew. Isn't that strange? When you think about what all they'd been through and the ways that God had been saving them and providing for them over and over again, and then to describe them as setting their hearts on evil things, it's like, oh, really? Is that what they did? Yeah. Yeah. That is what they did. So in uh, verse 7, he gives us some specific examples in case we've forgotten this part of the story. And so Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is specifically citing that incident of the golden calf where Moses goes up on the mountain. He's receiving (laughs) commands from God. And the people are like, "Uh, We don't know if Moses is coming back. And so maybe we'll just... Make a calf out of gold and worship that instead of God. I mean, we'll say it's God, but it's not. So they make this calf. This, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Ugh, no. It's like, so they did that. Verse 8 says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We don't have time to go through this right now. This is from Numbers 25. When, and it's actually something that's linked with the idolatry of uh, joining themselves with the Baal of Peor. And uh, likewise, verse 9, something that is uh, talked about in Numbers 21, it says, We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. Here's when they were getting ready to go around an area, and they're like, oh, we don't want to go that way. And they were getting impatient They weren't trusting. They didn't want to go that way. They didn't want to do things God's way. And then we have uh, snakes, and there's a whole thing there we're not going to go into, uh, something Jesus actually refers to in John chapter 3. And then in verse 10, And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. This is just a general description of the attitude and the results of many who came out of Egypt. If you read the story from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's so much, especially in Exodus and Numbers, of just this general attitude of grumble, 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 grumble. And it's like, you see what God has done, right? You see what he has done in the past. You see the way that he has continued to provide in your present. And yet, there's like no trust for the future. And, um, and there's this constant like, attitude of we don't think God knows what he's doing. We don't think that he cares about us. We don't think that he has a plan that is going to actually work. And so there are even times where they're like, what we need to do is go back to Egypt. That's what we need to do. This is the kind of thing that is, uh, that is described by Paul as uh, them setting their hearts on evil things. They have linked themselves up with the idolatries of the day. They have linked themselves up with the immoralities of the day. They have linked themselves up with the ways of thinking of all the people around them. Instead of continuing to stay focused on the God who had already saved them. To continue to walk with him, trusting him that he does know what he's doing. He's got a good track record and he does have a plan. And, uh, and we'll bring things forward. And instead, it was like physically they had been brought out of Egypt. But spiritually, a whole lot of them were still there. You know what I mean? And this is where um, you've heard the line before, it's easier to get the people out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of the people. This is what Paul is dealing with at the church in Corinth. It is easier to get together a group of people in Corinth and say, yes, we want to follow Jesus. It's a lot harder to get the Corinth out of the people. Because our culture is like the, um, like fish with the, the water we swim in, you know. Fish don't even notice the water. It's just what they're in. In our culture, it's like we don't even notice. It's just what we're in. And one of the, um, one of the best ways to actually see the culture that you're part of is to leave it, to go somewhere else. G.K. Chesterton talked about this, uh, that the reason that he would travel. He's like, the reason I go to Paris is not so I can see Paris. I'm paraphrasing here. but He's like, it's so that I can see my home when I get back. <laughs> because right now, you know, while I'm here, there's like this veil over my eyes. I can't even see the chair in front of me. It's like, but when I go away, and then I come back to it, and you may remember there's the, um, the old Febreze commercials about being nose blind. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Where if you're smelling the same thing so much, you don't, you don't even notice the smell, and then other people come into your space, and you're like, ugh, what is that? Oh, I didn't know that it smelled so bad. Um, that's how we all are with our culture. That's how, and we don't even notice that that's what's going on. And that's what was going on with, um, with the people in Corinth, and this is why Paul goes back to the people and like, maybe you can see your culture a little better if we go back, if we think about a different culture. we think about a time uh, in the past that takes us out of Corinthian culture, and we get back to what was going on in the uh, Exodus generation, and we talk about that for a while. And now we come back and we look at Corinth. Do you see now that you're doing the same things? That you've been saved, you've been sharing, you've been baptized, and you've been um, sharing in the spiritual food and drink provided by Christ, and yet are setting your hearts on evil things? This is where he then says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of, Of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, obviously, why are we reading this? Is it so we can look down on the people from the Exodus generation? No. Is it so we can look down on the people from Paul's generation? No. (laughs) It's because all of these things have been written down as warnings for us. We are those who become also uh, nose-blind, as it were, to our own culture. We end up setting our hearts on evil things and sometimes not even realizing that's what we're doing. It's just the water we swim in. So that verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This is, uh, this is one of those kind of terrifying verses, isn't it? It kind of ought to be, uh, because it is, there are so many verses in the New Testament. Hebrews is just full of these uh, these warnings against falling away of having come so close and then given up, um, In Matthew, I always talk about, you know you can't just look at the Old Testament without looking at it through Jesus. Clearly what Paul is doing, but we'll also take a look at some of the things that Jesus says specifically. One is in uh, Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. As many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What? This seems to be saying, Jesus is saying that there are people who are doing what seem to be very good things. Prophesying in the name of Jesus, driving out demons in the name of Jesus, performing miracles in the name of Jesus, and everybody would look at that and say, "Wow, what an amazing Christian and Jesus says, Away from me, you evil doers, that the things that they are doing are actually evil why how is that even what and it comes down to uh part that comes right before, away from you evildoers, where he says, I never knew you. But that's actually what the whole thing is about, isn't it? That from the very beginning, it's been about this life with God. This is what God wanted for his people as he brings them out of slavery in Egypt. He's uh, teaching them who he is. He's the one who has heard their cries for salvation. He brings them out. He rids them of, the, of slavery. He rids them of the Egyptians. He provides food for them in the wilderness. He provides drink for them in the wilderness. He guides them along. Life with God. You can trust me. And yet, the people continue to reject that and turn away from that. And Jesus says the same is true with him. It is about life Together with him. Um, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us uh, a parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. That's actually what it says. It's to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, he told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So who is the one that Jesus says uh, goes home justified? It's not the one who says, I'm doing everything right. I'm keeping all the commands. I've got it all right. There's a man who comes to Jesus later in the same chapter. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, you know the commandments. Goes through some of those. and, the, and all, those, all these I have kept since I was a boy. <laughs> when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. This, uh, This again. It's the same thing. The guy comes up to him thinking, I have done what I need to do. And Jesus says, but but do you trust me? Do you want a relationship with me? No, not that. Well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. And so many of us want to, uh, well, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll get baptized. I'll have the Lord's Supper. And that way, that'll get Jesus off my back and I can go do what I want. And I can go live just the same way the rest of the culture lives. No. The whole thing is the relationship with him. The reason for our baptism is a connection and a union with him. The reason for communion is communion with him. It's fellowship with him. And this is also where the good news of this comes in. um, Because it's not just a warning passage. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. One thing we've learned, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is good news. Jesus is not uh, just good news and he saves us from the penalty of sin. But that he also saves us from power of sin in our lives that we do have the ability to say no to the temptations that we face. Um, uh, There's so much more I want to share. We're way out of time. This This is uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Talking about Jesus says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you hear that? He's been through it. He knows what it's like. He knows what we're going through. And this is where Paul says that he will provide a way out. And you know what the way out is? Whatever the temptation is we're facing, do you know what the way out is? It's Jesus. (laughs) It's Jesus. Right? That's what it is. We look so many other places, but it's Jesus. The one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In chapter four in Hebrews, uh, talks about Jesus as our great high priest. And it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We um, very often find ourselves in a position of uh, being tempted and thinking, it's too much for me. I'm just going to go along with what everybody else is doing. But what this reminds us is it's not too much... Well, it is maybe too much for us, but it's not too much for us with Jesus, if that makes sense. That he does provide the way out, and he knows we're going through. That's the other uh, lie that we tend to uh, to hear is nobody else knows what it's like. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Well, that's not true either, is it? That he has... Um, he is able to empathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted, and yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. The other thing that we tend uh, toward is when we do mess up, when we turn away. We can read this passage in 1 Corinthians and go, oh, these people came out of Egypt, and they turned away, and that was it for them. But remember, they were baptized in Moses they were baptized in Jesus. We receive mercy and grace, and this is uh, this is how Jesus has been provided for us so that we can endure temptation and we have that guarantee of forgiveness of sins if we come back to him. But it's always about him. It's always about our relationship with him. And so um, the temptation will always be, in one form or another, just turn away from him. That's the temptation, isn't it? That's always been the temptation. Just turn away from him. And even when it comes to, you know, specific sins, it's like, well, just turn away from him to solve this problem on your own. No. That's actually the temptation, is turn away from him. And so, of course, the solution always is turn back to him. That's really what the word repent means. Just turn around. Come back to him. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, and God, we do pray that you would help us to hear your message for us today. I pray that you would help us to see more clearly the ways that we um, are products of our culture and the ways that you are calling us to be different that you want us to reflect who you are into this world, that that everyone would come to know you. And God, we know that we can only do this if we are connected with you. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, help us to believe you. Help us to stay close to you Help us to um, to trust you and to know the life that comes from being connected with you. I pray that you would help us to consider um, what it means for us to give up things we feel entitled to because of our love for you and our love for others. God, that nothing we would do would be a stumbling block for them coming to know you as well. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.